I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. All right, we made you wait for it, but we are back. The PFF NFL podcast here on, is this Radio Row, Mike? Is this, what is this? Yeah, I'd call it Radio Row. All right, Radio Row at the NFL Combine. We've got a cool show today. We're going to talk to Brandon Staley, head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. We're going to talk to Jason Light, head coach of, or not head coach, GM of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Trevor Sycamus is going to help us do that. Sam Monson here, Mike Renner. In the chair. Steve is locked in meetings with NFL teams yeah. basically all week. So it's going to be us cobbling this thing together out here, Mike. Combine week. It's pretty fun. I love combine week. It's my favorite week of the year. I think I say that actually about every week <laughs> we do. But it is fun. Like just going out here, it's one of the times where you actually get access to literally every single player, every single GM head coach. Well, the ones that made it out here. They right. said Brand Staley didn't make it out here, but we yeah, sure we can, you Brand we can Staley made it out here. dispel some fake news. There's, a, <laughs> there's reports, multiple reports I've seen this morning that the Chargers, one of the teams that did not send their contingent of you know important people, and that Brandon Staley is not at the combine. Well, admittedly, we didn't check his ID, but we yeah. sat down and talked to somebody that claimed to be Brandon Staley and did appear to have Brandon Staley levels of insight and knowledge. It will be on this show. I believe he's here. He was as intimidating as Brandon Staley. I'll just say that. <laughs> the guy did a good job impersonating, if not. Yeah, exactly. Very good impersonator. So I think he's here. Yes. Anyway, we're going to have those interviews coming up. And uh, we also got a few other things to hit, including some stuff that we got in our mailbag. So if you have questions for us during the course of this week, send them in NFLpodcast at pff.com. But before we get into them, the PFF NFL Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash pff you can take the podcast out of the western and southern studio but you can't take the western and southern out of the podcast mike i'm sure i'm surprised we didn't have like a something to put on the desk we should we should have brought the mugs the mugs could have come with us to the to the combine but alas we didn't think of that because we're we're that level of disorganized all right mike we're going to start with a conversation about who has a realistic chance mm-hmm. to go number one overall? We've now reached the point in the process, and we're still months away, where I have seen all four of these quarterbacks number one overall in a given mock draft. Yeah. How many of them? How many players do you think right now actually have a realistic shot of going number one? To me, it's two. Two. Realistic being like more than five percent. <laughs> you know, like that I actually think can go number one overall. Okay. One's Bryce Young, who obviously we've mocked number one. I think in every mock draft that right. we've done so far this year, just because we think it's the best quarterback, and that's that. And then two being Will Levis, just because I could see a team falling in love with tools, falling in love with the NFL translatability in terms of playing on two former NFL office coordinators, NFL ready from that standpoint. Obviously, a size, athleticism that's better than the likes of a guys like Bryce Young and CJ Stroud. But to me, that's the guys who have above like. I'll say 10% chance right now of going number one overall. And it would be a, someone that would like buy in like the Colts, who's like traditionally trait-driven franchise, trait-driven scouting department that would draft someone like Will Levis number one overall. That's it to me. I, I would One, I'd be floored if the Bears stand pat and draft a position player. Right. I just do not see that happening. Anytime a quarterback is available that is of that caliber, you're lying to yourself if you're or you're just losing value if you just sit at number one overall and draft one of those one of those defensive players. There's, there's too many trade candidates. Exactly. Like they, they can move back too easily and still get one of those blue chip defensive players. Um, you know, Jalen Carter, the, mm-hmm. the defensive tackle from Georgia, Will Anderson, the, the edge rusher from Alabama. Mm-hmm. It's too easy for them to take a trade, get out of number one and still get one of those guys for them to stick at number one and draft one of them. Yes, exactly. And then with C.J. Stroud, I do just think he comes with too many question marks in that Ohio State offense, his ability to play from tight pockets under pressure that 
you're going to draft him over likes of Bryce Young just because of the size. Like that's the conversation between the two of them. It would just be because you're worried about Bryce Young's size. I don't see that happening. And then with Anthony Richardson, he's just too much of a project at this point. And, <laughs> and not to say that I'm not buying in. Like he's, I think, top 12 in the PFF draft board. I would draft him highly for sure. I would take that chance. But there's a difference between taking that chance after a couple quarterbacks have been off the board and that's your only option versus choosing him over the likes of a guy like Bryce Young in my opinion. See, this is bad radio, Mike, because we're supposed to disagree and, you know, shout at each other back and yeah. forth, and that's how this works. You know, Stephen A. has shown us the way. Yeah. But I actually agree with almost everything you said there. What I think is interesting, though, is that, like, this class, more than most, I yeah. think, it's kind of like what are you scared by or what do you buy into? Like each one of those four guys, there's something to be terrified of, right? Bryce yeah. Young, obviously, it's the size. Um, C.J. Stroud, it's the fact that like outside of that Georgia game, he was bad at quite a lot of things. And then the Georgia game, it's like he was good at them, those mm-hmm. things. So how much do you weigh one game against a really good opposition versus everything else? Yeah. Um, Levis, obviously, you've got a bad final year. You've got a lot of questions there. And then Anthony Richardson being the giant project. So – as much as I'm kind of in lockstep with you that I think it's Bryce Young and then Levis is the guy that I would turn to if I'm going in the other direction away from the, the size things, I can kind of see an argument, though, where other people see it just the other way, right? You mm-hmm. can you buy into the fact that, oh, one game against Georgia in the, the playoffs shows he can do it at the, the next level against NFL defenses and C.J. Stroud is your guy. Or if I'm pivoting away from the size, I'm I just terrified of those small, thin guys. I'm going for one of these monsters well, give me the guy with the super freak athletic tools rather than Levis, who's yeah. good tools, not great. Yeah. Uh, with Richardson, though, I could, I, I guess like because that's the, the one gaining gaining steam right now, yeah, right? That, There's that a lot the, of talk of him I, going I would, number one. I would bet more money on Richardson going number one overall than Stroud. I'll just say, like, right. obviously Stroud better on the football field, better quarterback right now, but we're still projecting. You know, you're still projecting multiple years out, and with Richardson, there's real reasons why he may not have been as polished as the others and real things that I think are clean upable are fixable. That's a better word than clean upable. <laughs> That's an actual word. Clean yeah. upable, not a word. There you go. Uh, that are fixable as you go forward. And I just actually wrote about it on PFF.com today. But it's nice. like the things that Josh Allen, that he's going to get the comps to, that he's the comp to in the PFF draft guide, kind of had and then got that already had and then got fixed were you know, he could play from the pocket. He could play under pressure and keep his eyes down the football field and didn't care if guys were bearing down on him. Anthony Richardson has that. Like, has that just, like, innate ability to block all the rest out and still play the quarterback position. Yeah. Now, he throws wildly inaccurate more often than not. You know, 53% completion percentage is a tough pill to swallow, and that was Josh Allen at Wyoming who was just throwing heaters and fastballs and way overstriding and had things obviously technically wrong that – now he's fixed. Richardson has some of those, but I think he's like you could see Josh Allen's flaws are were so obvious in his mechanics that now are great. Like now he's one of the best mechanically quarterbacks in the NFL. He has cleaned those up wholesale. I think Richardson will still be, you know, he's, there's some of that on his tape that leads to inaccuracies, but a lot of it is just I think he's just going to be an inaccurate dude. So I I do worry about that part of his game. It's it is interesting because we tend to sort of lump all these guys in the same bucket as like, well, this is just a you know a toolsy quarterback. It's yes. kind of that doesn't have the passing chops right now, but as if those are all the same. Yes. But but it's they're very different conversations depending on what quarterback you're talking about. Like a year ago, Malik Willis, similar story, right? Mm-hmm. Amazing athletic tools, what he can do as a runner incredible arm best arm in the draft class but like was wildly inaccurate was wildly erratic as a passer but in a very different way like Richardson tries to be a quarterback much more than Malik Willis did a year ago which is why I think there's a big difference in evaluation and why one guy is being talked about as you know a legitimate a legitimate number one overall contender whereas admittedly there was some of this Mm -hmm. with Malik Willis like number two to the Lions or whatever but like most people said this guy was a low first-round pick, if that, and then he ends up going in the third. And Malik Willis was six foot tall. It, it, like the guys last year, Malik Willis, Sam Howell, six footers. Like they're they're barely taller than Bryce Young. Who like once you get into whoa that there. range, whoa there. We'll see what Bryce Young is. <laughs> Maybe as tall as Bryce Young. Um, but once you get into that range, like that is like still worrisome. There are still NFL teams that you know, despite some results to the contrary. Obviously, Tua, um, Kyler, like 
playing to their level. Uh, even Jalen Hurts, who's on the smaller side at 6-1, playing to the contrary. There's still some teams that just will not cross that bridge into the smaller quarterbacks. And you, so I'm kind of in agreement with you that C.J. Stroud feels like the most kind of compromise candidate, yeah. the most compromised quarterback here. He's the guy that's maybe in the middle of the road the most. And for you and me, that appears to be a sort of, I just don't want that guy number one overall. Do you think, though, that there's an NFL team out there that's like, Terrified of Bryce Young's size, terrified of the variance of Levis, and that, like, just give me the give yeah. me the fairway shot. I, I don't think that's how NFL teams operate necessarily. Like, yeah, maybe there's a few that have them QB one on their board, but they always try tend trend towards extremes. It seems like in some way, shape, especially like at that level of the draft, you know, and, and when it's a top three, top five pick, that's where it usually trends towards. All right, I want to uh, circle back around to something that we covered a little bit when myself and Steve interviewed former general manager Rick Spielman. Um, And it was a really interesting conversation because you heard a lot about the smart things that they were doing and the the cross-checking that they did within the system and the self-scouting of their own talent evaluators and all this kind of stuff. But where he was on a completely different page to us was um, position value and how much that should factor into your big board and your drafting process and and all that kind of stuff to the point where it was difficult for us to sort of make our point because we were, I think, assuming a level of something that wasn't even there. We were just assuming there was some baseline level of position value adjustment and they were like no we just, the guy with the better grade is, is who you're drafting they drafted within, Bradbury 18th so right with it, within should have you should have seen that coming it's yeah. true like, it, yeah. it does explain a lot once you start to accept that piece of information but I'm curious now you obviously do PFF's big board and, mm-hmm. and you're kind of doing that from a you know, consumer facing, it's not the same as an NFL general manager, right? Yeah. But if you were a GM, if you were drafting, if you were in that room, you're making the decisions and, and all of a sudden the franchise direction rests on it, your job rests on it, all those kinds of things, mm-hmm. how would you factor in positional value to your big board? Yeah, I mean, who is that? I think Scott Pioli. I talked to Scott Pioli a few years ago, and he had what, is, in my opinion, is the right idea to approaching a big board. He had one board that was purely just grades of a guy stacked up. Here's how good we think they are compared to historically how good players usually are at that position. And then one where it's like, here's what it actually means in terms of like who we want to draft and where we draft them. That's, that takes into account positional value. That takes into account other things like that uh, and fit on your roster and whatnot, where you have, them, where you have the needs. Um, that's how I would do it because I do think you need to have kind of that perspective of just how good is this guy in relation to past uh, guys mm-hmm. at that position. Like, how good is he once he gets to the NFL? And, like, the B. John Robinson conversation, like, how special just is B. John? Is he going to be like Derrick Henry where you just know that if you give him 20 carries a game, he's going to produce pretty much no matter what offensive line is behind? Or is he more fall in line of maybe that tier behind it, which is still very good running backs, but uh, maybe like a Dalvin Cook where it's like, yeah, he's very good, but he's not giving you that – unstoppable production year after year. So you've got to have to have that eval to know then where that position slots in. But at the end of the day, if you're not factoring in that if I draft B. John Robinson, I have the highest grade on him, and I draft him at you know, I'm the Falcons at number eight overall, right. I'm paying him like a top ten running back in the NFL. That guy has to be nails for me. Uh, and I've missed out on the opportunity to get in a more valuable position and improve my roster elsewhere. So I, I think – both those things have to factor into the draft decision. Because that's the key to me. It's the it's the opportunity cost that I think is the biggest question mark. Because I've actually started, even, even since starting this line of thought, I've been softening on how high you can draft a special running back and, and for it to still be okay, right? Like, when you look at the contracts, you can get really high before it becomes an onerous deal. Like, mm-hmm. you can get to six, I think, before it becomes... A deal where I, I really don't want to give him that even if he's amazing but mm. anything from like six onwards it's really not a bad contract if he ends up being a very good player and obviously one of the factors in this is the confidence level that you have in your grade right mm. so not only does this guy have the best grade of any of these available players but we're really confident that he's going to be something like that and that was the Quentin Nelson conversation yes. like not only did you think he was special but you were like so certain that he was going to be something like that guy, mm-hmm. right? And that changes things because the next guy might be not only uh, he might be a more valuable player or a more valuable position, 
but you're much less confident that he's going to end up being that player. The variance out of it is much more, much bigger. So you're sort of dealing with that initially and you're figuring out, is he worth a top 10 pick in a vacuum? Yes mm. or no. But then you have to factor in, what am I passing up to make that move happen? So if you had like a complete roster, would you draft Bijan at number six overall? Maybe. But you don't, almost certainly. Nobody has a complete roster. Yeah. So it's like, well, would you rather have him or like argue maybe a starting corner or a starting you know offensive tackle or starting defensive lineman that can get pressure and stuff that's where it starts to become an issue so i think you almost need this board that gives you the players grades you know in a vacuum some kind of vertical stack but then you need to have some sort of cross comparison line where you're like all right Corner is a more valuable position, but how far down this list do I go before it. before the running back with the better yep. grade is actually the better pick at this point? And that that was what I was struggling to get across or to figure mm-hmm. out from from Rick. He was sort of talking about these the vertical list they had, but then these horizontal buckets that they had. And it was it was sort of difficult to get a, a real clear picture of how exactly that functioned. But it needs some kind of version of that, right? And, and I think that's why almost maybe GMs are hesitant to even do that in the first place is because it adds this layer of subjectivity and kind of like even like hand waviness where it's like there's no formula to directly right. do that. You know, there's no easy way to do that. It is easy though to go, here's the grade, here's who I picked then. So you, you stack the board. So that uh, in and of itself, like that ease of use, I think plays into GM's decisions not to alter maybe the way they see position value yeah i think it's something though that like the whole point of all this right the analytics the data the all the information that everybody is bringing to the table now is to be able to do things like that and while you maybe could square it in your head before that (laughs) i mean grading is entirely subjective right it's not like this thing is a black and white process to begin with (laughs) but even if you decided that like this is a level of subjective we're cool with but trying to do it for One positions more. is is like that's ridiculous yeah even if you decided that that's a line you can do but like the whole point of data and analytics and all that kind of stuff is to be able to help you with that is to bridge that gap and say now you've got information that can let you put a value to that and and mm-hmm. the so to me you you can now create like a confidence factor in your grade right how much how confident are you how close on the quentin nelson scale are we to saying this guy's a guaranteed stud and then also the other element of like what factor do you put on that to adjust for mm-hmm. position value and, and sort of wear down those lists you go to set those lines. And, and I think that's maybe a misconception about analytics is that it spits out the answer for you. Right. It spits out a black and white yes or no sort of answer where it's not. It gives you a range. You know, it gives you ranges of outcomes that you then have to kind of discern and wade through after the fact. Yeah, or the, just the information to let you then kind of create, build something yourself, right? Yeah. Here's a bunch of information that gives you an indication of value of coverage versus, you know, running the ball, all these kinds of things. Now, you've got smart people in the building. You've got analytics professionals. Let those guys build something that gives you what your personal factor is for yeah. adjustments within. But it, it is kind of wild to me that there are teams out there that are just drafting from the list like this is our list we take top to bottom we just draft these players and (laughs) if if the run happens at a certain position or if you know we're just we're just not changing it yeah i did actually so i came up with should we talk about this on the pod i'm just dropping this on you right now but i came up with a list because i was thinking about this yesterday somewhat of this and thinking about how uh the like reaches from the PFF draft, where most of them come via positional value, but like hmm. hard reaches, guys that are 20 spot reaches or more on the PFF draft board, have one of the uh, have such a low hit rate. I can't find the, I can't find it right now. But um, I put together an entire list of it. Yeah, I mean that that is one of those things that the, the sort of data studies of past drafts has shown that there isn't um, there there is a clear and obvious sign of a reach generally speaking reach picks and i think the the study i can't remember who did it but the studies i've seen were using the consensus board right Mm -hmm. so anyone that's clearly a draft reach relative to the consensus board the strike rate of those guys is terrible so essentially the the logic being that if you think you're better at drafting than everybody else and just like we're taking our board regardless Mm -hmm. of where you you're wrong nobody's good at that but 
there is um, the guys that slide relative to the board. There's no kind of pattern about whether they're going to be better or worse. So the the sort of consensus board seems to work in one direction. That if you think you're smarter in overdrafting, you're probably wrong. Yeah. But yeah. if you're the guys that think you're getting value because you're stopping the slide of a guy, you're also probably wrong. There you go. That was my uh, that was what I was trying to say better. But here's the full list. Read it off. Big list guy in the pod. Um, 2019. Cleveland Furl. This, this is 20 spots or more. How much of this between. is just the Raiders? A lot of it's the Raiders. <laughs> so that makes us look good. But Cleveland Furl, Daniel Jones, Rashawn Gary, Chris Lindstrom, obviously not a hot start there. But then Garrett Bradbury, Josh Jacobs, Titus Howard, LJ Collier, Caleb McGarry, Nikhil Harry. Next year, 2020, Austin Jackson, Damon Arnett, Caleb on Chason, Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks, Isaiah Wilson, Noah Benogany, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. A lot better that year. 2021, Alex Leatherwood, Jamin Davis, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Peyton Turner, Eric Stokes, Joe Tryon, and then 2022, Kenyon Green, Traylon Burks, Quay Walker, and Cole Strange. You got three hits Yeah. on that list of over 20 players, maybe four hits, and that's like most, and then a lot of them being running backs. And even like, like the hardcore hits there. And even like a lot of the players that have shown something took years for it to yeah. show up. Like Kale yeah, McGarry like just coming off a career year. Kale McGarry an, wasn't a good pick. Yeah, yeah. In, in an offense that had to be the most run-heavy offense in the NFL. And yeah. even his pass pro this year was still a little bit sketchy. Yeah. So even if you consider like now he's good, it took the it's entire rookie pick. contract for it to happen. Exactly. So it's a bad, it's a miss. Like yeah. it's not a good you didn't get anything out of that because you're not going to pay him now. He's probably going to free agency, and you got like a year's worth of value out of that in a year where you weren't good anyway. Yeah, yeah, so. that's that. It, it is interesting that thought. like there's a way of gaming this as well. All right, I want to wrap up before we get to our uh, interviews with. We got an email through from Alec Benedo, I believe. Um, it's a three-way trade idea. Okay, to pitch you. So Love the NFL doesn't do a lot of these. This is a, an NBA thing. A yeah. lot more than it is uh, an NFL thing. But this is kind of an interesting one. So, uh, hi, enjoy the podcast. I have a three-way trade idea. The Bears should trade the number one overall pick to the Cardinals for the number three overall pick plus DeAndre Hopkins. The Cardinals then trade the number one overall pick to the Colts for number four and a haul of picks. Um, the Bears get an elite receiver and have salary cap space to pay him and make all that work plus one of the two blue-chip defensive linemen in the draft. The Cardinals get to move on from the Hopkins contract, the other blue-chip defensive linemen, and a haul of draft picks, and the Colts get whatever quarterback they want from the whole shebang. Uh, as a Bears fan, this seems like the best way to build around fields since there's no easy way to add to the receiving core yeah. given the available free agents and the Bears draft position. Let me know what you think. Alec. I do like that. Right? I mean, I like that idea. When's the last time we had a three-way trade, though? It's been a while. I, I do. I feel like now I'm, I have nothing to back this up, and you just put this on me right now, but I feel like we had them more when I was growing up. Like, early yeah. 2000s, those were, like, a thing that would happen. Not often, but, like, semi-regularly. But I cannot remember the last time we actually had a three-way deal. No, it do, they, don't, they only seem to, even if they happen now, they seem to happen sort of compartmentalized mm. like this, right? They sort of set it out in order. Yeah. It seems to be sort of, we'll do this deal, assuming we can get this done, but it's not, like, linked together. It, it feels like it has to be, which is... It has to be CBA driven, right? There's, there's got to be something in the CBA that like kind of dictates this because that's like that's why you see them in the NBA, or that's why trade pick trades are different in the NBA versus uh, the NFL is because of the CBA and how that works. I so I feel like it probably has something to do with that. I wonder if it's also because of like just how much how much of a pain in the ass balancing the sort of values is for all these. Like, you know, you see, every trade you see, it's like we'll give you a fourth, we've got to get a fifth back next year, and it's like, yeah, what are we doing to like? This is like seven points on somebody's random-ass draft chart, and you're probably <laughs> using different draft charts to figure out the seven points. Like, yeah. Adding a third team to that just feels like a nightmare that nobody wants to get involved in. I, that's one of the best, like, most logical, though, all-around trades I've seen in terms of just, like, every team gets what they want. It makes sense for everyone involved and would, especially for Chicago, moving back from number one, gives them exactly kind of what they're missing. It always felt to me like the Miami trade a couple of years ago, you know, they moved down and then jumped back up. Yeah. Um, it always felt to me like that was essentially a three-way trade that they, like they only did the first move because they knew the second, the move, second was, move was, was available. Yeah. If, they, if they hadn't got the option to move back up to six, 
I don't think they would have traded down with the 49ers in the first place. Yeah. So theoretically, that's kind of a three-way trade. Although, you know, it's, it's sort of Miami doing it in two stages again. Mm-hmm. Like, that always felt like a, that whole trade scenario was, I think, interlinked. And then the Eagles obviously just banked off of it. Right. Yeah, and, and that's a weird one because obviously the 49ers are the big losers at the moment because he traded three first-round draft picks for Trey Lance, and he's no longer the starter, assuming Brock Purdy's elbow survives. Um, the, the Miami side of that was kind of interesting, though, because... Like, analytics people always hate trading up, right? Mm-hmm. You trade up for a guy that's not a quarterback, it's a bad move, just generally, conceptually. But if, to me, it always felt like if those were essentially two parts of the same move, it then looks it different. a big play, yeah. You know if what I mean? If you, if you assume yeah. that they effectively just traded from three to six to get Jalen Waddell, I think that's more reasonable to look at mm-hmm. than if you say, well, they traded up here and they lost out. It's a bad move. Yeah, oh, it makes like, if that would have been their haul just to go from 3 to 6 would have been massive for that haul. Yeah. But obviously, in retrospect, it's like, well, you could have had Devontae Smith and or you could have had Rashawn Slater if you just stayed there. And Is that much? Is Jalen Waddle that much better? Eh. I really love Jalen Waddle. I mean, knocked out the park with that pick. No, Don't get me wrong. Right. But probably would like that first-rounder back and someone like Rashawn Slater instead. Yeah, but it, like, it always feels to me like it's you can always sort of do yeah. the look what they could have had. Yeah. game you know and it, you can generally paint a very favorable picture of what you could have had if you were really good at drafting and picked the best player in the draft at the point you were drafting that's simply what i would do yeah exactly i would simply draft the best player that was still on the board when i was when my pick came yeah. up but if you assume that like all right we're, we're doing this in the dark we're potentially trading back you know and if, if you net it all out and say we're going to go back three spots and still get who we believe is the second best receiver in this draft I, I think that's a reasonable move for them. It's only yeah. when you sort of say, well, no, let's compartmentalize it and say you could have stayed back at number mm-hmm. 12 and still gotten the second or third best receiver in the draft. Let's, let's say that's a coin flip still. Um, therefore, you goofed. Therefore, it was bad. Yeah. But, like, they were never even going to do that. It was only contingent on the fact that they, they would have been able to move back in the first place. All right, Mike, before we pitch it to uh, a couple of interviews that we, we have in the can, What's your? Uh, what are you looking forward to the most this week? Ooh, it's like day one, question. day zero point five. Um, Bryce Young's height, weight. Actually, weight. more so is weight. Uh, well, hang on. What? What are you? Weight what is fungible. What number are you taking off? Whatever number he weighs in at, on the basis <laughs> that this is clearly not what he weighs. I'll say five pounds. Okay. A five pound subtraction post weigh in. And what do you expect that number to be? I expect him to get over two hundred. Really? I'd be floored if he came in not. Over 200. You're just, you're costing yourself money you come in, and possibly. But what does he have to do to get, like, if he weigh, if he, if so his weight, that's, li- that's yeah. like listed though. But if his weight was realistically, like if he was 180 or 185, yeah. I put on like 15 pounds in college one time. Over oh, how long? In a month. A month? What did <laughs> you do? I drink a gallon a month, a gallon of milk a day. You drink a gallon of milk a day and yeah. put on 20 pounds in a month? 15 pounds in a month. 15 pounds in a month. It was pretty brutal. Um, <laughs> if you want to gain weight though, you could do worse things than drink a gallon of milk a day. Wow. It works. That's that's terrifying. Yeah, it actually, I mean, that was, it, my bench went up a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, it works. You, you can put in a lot of calories. You're going to give your body what it needs. So if but the one thing he does this this week is bench press, that, that tallies. Yeah, he's been, he's been hitting the milk diet for he the last month. 20 on the bench and comes in 210. <laughs> he's been drinking a gallon of milk. But now, um, I, I do just think. Like, the weight's the bigger deal. Now, is he always going to be 200? Like, he has years to put on more muscle. I think that's not a massive, massive deal. Even but, that's, but if he comes in, like, 190, you're like, that's scary. That, I, like, that's a scary number to I me. I think I'd be surprised if the first number was a 2. Okay. I just think, I don't believe, for a start, I think his listed, what is he, he's listed at 6 foot? He's still at 194. Foot 194. I think both of those are grossly exaggerated based off every photograph I've ever seen of him. Like, there's a photo of him standing there shaking hands with, with uh, Stetson Bennett, yeah. who's listed at 5'11", 1 something. Mm-hmm. Like, and he's shorter. small. He's both shorter and smaller. Yeah, the Brees than, pick's bad, too. And Bennett, right. The Drew Brees one. Exactly. There's so a number. If, he, if his playing weight at Alabama was like 5'10", 185, yeah. That's a that's a grind to hit the 200, even with like a couple of months to do your milk diet thing. Yeah, we'll see. That's why like 190 is like a scary number, though. Like that's like too small to ever really get to. 
just where you need to be. I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. He's not going to stay there forever. Right. And it, that's the thing, because it's, it's a lot like the Devontae Smith conversation where we're not talking about a guy who's come from some backwater program that doesn't have, like, an elite strength and conditioning and nutrition. Mm-hmm. Pro- like, we're talking about a guy that came from Alabama. If he could get bigger, he'd have gotten bigger. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if, yeah. if he could be... Like with Devontae Smith, if he could weigh 190, he'd weigh 190. 190. The fact that he still put up 166 says this is who he is. Mm -hmm. And if that, like if if Bryce Young shows up and the the first number is a one with a month or six weeks or however long to like try and put on muscle, it ain't getting bigger than that. Yeah. So his weight. And then after that, the only other guy whose weight I'm really excited to see is Kalijah Kansi, the Pittsburgh defensive tackle. Yeah, yeah. Because if you watch him on tape, he almost looks like a linebacker playing defensive tackle. I mean, he's tiny. Six foot, 280 is what he's listed like at. Ed Oliver. But is he going to be six foot, 280? I don't know. Uh, so excited to see him test. And then just like the freak athletes, right, is, is where I'm looking. Guys like Quentin Johnson from TCU. Guys like Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. The Clemson trio along the defensive line that were all, like, I think top 15 on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, being right. Brian Brzee, the DT, Miles Murphy, the edge, Trent Simpson, the linebacker. Excited to see all those guys. I'm just I'm excited to see everyone. Who am She's I kidding? Excited I'm excited to, to see, see it all. It all. All right, Mike, beautiful. This day one in the books. We're going to kick it over to our interview with uh, Brandon Staley and then to Trevor's Ikemah with J- or Trevor Sycamore's interview with Jason Light. We will uh, be back tomorrow. The Times this week. Might be a little bit all over the place. We're at the mercy of when we can get these guys for interviews, et cetera, et cetera. So we will be here every single day. The time will be uh, a movable feast, Mike. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks, for, uh, thanks for showing up, and we'll see you again tomorrow. All right, we're uh, joined by head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers, Brandon Staley. Coach, thanks for joining us here. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, we have to start this off with... Uh, we were contractually obliged to check in on how our former colleague, PFF, Zach Robinson, is doing. You guys were interviewing <laughs> him for offensive coordinator. Yeah. Well, Z-Rob's one of my favorites. Uh, we had a, a really special year together in 2020, fellow quarterback. Um, and so, you know, just uh, a huge fan of Z-Rob's. And, um, you know, I interviewed him for the offensive coordinator job. He lit it up. Um, he's going to be a fantastic offensive coordinator in this league. I, I think he's going to be a head coach in, in, in short order. And, um you know, uh, Sean's lucky to have him uh, back in L.A. for sure. Obviously, you guys got Kellen Moore now as your O.C. What were you looking for in that O.C. search? What was, like, the criteria? Because, obviously, uh, much was made about Justin Herbert and kind of the average depth of target last year. 6.9 yards average depth of target, second lowest in the NFL. What was kind of the criteria when you're starting your search, kind of triaging it? What was basically... What were you looking for in that? Oh, well, the number one thing you're looking for is leadership. You know, you need to be able to lead an offense. You need to be uh, a part of the leadership of your football team, being able to connect to the other two phases. Um, and I really wanted to bring in someone that had a leadership style that could impact an entire side of the football and then, you know, help on the other side of the football too and in the kicking game. And I think Kellen's got that background. Um, I love his background as a former coach's kid. Uh, played the position at the highest level at Boise, played in the NFL uh, for two different teams, had a, a really nice playing career, and then transitioned to a coach. And I think he's got the right style um, just from a leadership standpoint that I think w- would really fit our football team. And then I think from an offensive standpoint is we really wanted to be able to marriage the run and the pass game. Um, you know, someone that had a proven track record of, of bringing both of those elements to life, especially on early downs. Um, you know, Kellen, you know, my very first game as a defensive coordinator in the NFL was against Kellen and the Cowboys. And um, I think since he, you know, became the coordinator there in Dallas, you've seen the, the production. Um, and I just, I love the way that they've played. They've been one of the most difficult covers for me personally. Um, I think being able to utilize all the people, um, you know, in your skill group and be able to really, you know, tailor the offense for your quarterback, but then for your O-line. I think he does a really good job of that. And then being able to, you know, put the pressure on the defense every snap. And um, I think that that's something he does an, an outstanding job of. And um, again, he's been a great fit for us so far. Were you surprised a guy like that was even available? Uh, very surprised. Uh, <laughs> just I think the level of respect, I just know how good of a coach he is. Uh, we've, we've played against him twice and then uh, we scrimmaged him, you know, in the, in the preseason this year and had spent two days of practice. So I know um, what a fantastic coach he is. And I think being able to team up with him every day now for the last month or so, um, we're very fortunate. There's a, there's a kind of feeling at the moment, Justin Herbert, 
as talented as any quarterback in the NFL. But between the low average at the target, he's led the league for two years running now in what we call turnover-worthy play percentage, like the lowest turnover-worthy play rate in the NFL. So not just interceptions, but dropped interceptions, that kind of thing. He's as careful with the football as anybody. Um, to what extent do you guys agree internally with this idea that we haven't quite tapped into Justin's full potential? He's incredible, but there's a little bit more to come, and that's what we're searching for when we, we get this new offensive coordinator. Well, he threw for over 5,000 yards in my first season. Um, he threw for 4,700 last year. So um, I think he's uh, been fantastic as a player. Um, I definitely think he's uh, exceeded any expectation that anyone would have had for him except his own. Um, because no one's going to approach uh, his own expectations. But um, I think, you know, what he's been able to do in, in these last two years is give us a chance to win every time we go out. And, um, you know, I think he's really improving as a player every time he goes out. And um, there's been a lot of factors for, um, you know, all those statistics that you mentioned. But um, the one thing about him is he's an outstanding decision maker. And there's nobody that's more accurate in the deep part of the field than Justin. Um, there's nobody more accurate on third down when the pocket's tight. Um, and people are playing man-to-man -man and they're in deny the ball downs than Justin. Um, and he has that unique ability to take care of it when you know, most people can't. And so we're very fortunate that way. Um, what we need to do around him is you know, make our run game a lot more explosive, which is going to allow him to be even more explosive in the passing game, uh, put more pressure on early downs um, so that we can push it down the field. Um, but explosive plays happen in a lot of different ways. Um, you can hand it to a runner, you can throw a screen, or hey, you can throw it to the top shelf of the coverage. And so he's proven that he can do anything as a player. Um, what we've done our first two years is trying to surround him um, with, a, with a supporting cast, both up front and out wide. We're going to continue to do that. Um, and Justin's going to continue to lead this football team every single year with a chance to compete for a championship. We have a guy like Justin Herbert. Do you even bother scouting quarterbacks at that point? Like you watch like Bryce Young tape and you're like, what am yeah. I doing here? Like, you got to have waste my time. No, no, no. It's not a waste of time. You have to have full command over the league, you know, and so you got to watch all these quarterbacks. You got to spend the time um, because, you know, this league's about comps and you got to know who you're playing against. And um, there's a lot of things like for down the road, you may get these guys down the road. Um, and so, um, you know, quarterbacks in this league, they, they, they come in all different shapes and sizes. They come from all rounds of the draft or undrafted. And I think that's it's incumbent upon you to, to, to have full command over the board. And, um, and it's great to stack these guys, you know, from a scouting perspective uh, and really measure yourself of, you know, um, did you get it right? Did you get it wrong? Where did you miss? Uh, what did you get right about this player? Um, that's all really important, I think, as you move forward as a franchise. We were talking off air about how many guys you, you the Chargers have sent to the Combine. Um, it's this strange world right now where some teams are sort of diminishing it and importance aren't really sending anybody. Some teams are still sending the full complement. What do you guys get out of the Combine this week? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you, it's a long week. And so what you want to make sure you do is don't lose any rhythm from your actual football standpoint in your own program. Um, if you just come here to like scout players, you're losing an entire week of your program from a football built, you know, to, you know, coaching, you know, team building standpoint, free agency. Um, so you got to make sure that you're still able to do that here uh, and then work towards the combine aspect of it, the interviews, and then preparing for the draft ultimately. So um, I think, you know, the thing about, you know, the way it is now is you have more access to film than ever. And so all these interviews are taped, all these workouts are taped, you get all the video um, cut up. So there's that element to like seeing it live, you know, what do you get out of it? I don't know, that's probably person to person, team to team, how they value it. But it's a great chance to get in front of these guys um, and be here with the rest of the NFL. The Combine's more than just about these players. It's about, you know, being with you guys, being with the rest of the league. Everybody's coming together. Um, it's, a, it's a special event, um, and I think it brings everybody uh, that's important in the league together, and um, it's obviously great for the fans. So the Combine numbers, how much stock do you actually put in the 40, three cone, like all the measurements that you're going to see versus, say, maybe like the GPS stuff that you see on tape in terms of... Uh, those yeah. yeah, I think it's important. You know, the metrics, I think, um, have been established in terms of the, you know, the 40 broad jump vertical, how that applies to maybe position specifics. But I think now you have further metrics with GPS, you know, catapult data um, that, that, that goes back a long ways to like their freshman year in college. So there's just a lot more information to track um, that can kind of confirm or deny some of the things that you think about a player. Um, hey, maybe he didn't run a, a, a great 40, but what did his GPS number say at the all-star game? Um, 
or what did, what did it say in this big game that they played in the playoffs. There's just a lot more metrics that you can utilize um, to make informed decisions, and that's what the Combine's about. It's about um, you know getting more information on players, whether it's medical or physical, um, in terms of the performance, and that's what you're trying to do as an organization is bring all that data together um, and make the best decision for you and your franchise. How much of your um, team-building approach is looking within the division because you guys have to deal with Patrick Mahomes two times a year, three times a year if you're you know, going into the playoffs potentially. How much of your focus is we need to figure out how to stop this Chiefs juggernaut and how much of it is let's just do our own thing and when we're as good as we can be, we automatically beat Kansas City. Yeah, you make it about your team. You can't make it about anybody else because everybody's you know team is changing year to year. You can't control their decision-making process or how they're trying to build their team. What you're trying to do is is build your team the way that you believe it should be built. Um, because you gotta, it's not just building yourself to beat one team. You gotta beat all of them. Right. And so um, that's really important is that you have a style of play that can beat anybody that you play. Um, you know, there's certainly uh, been the standard here. Um, for a little while now, but I mean, you know, for us, it's just going to be about our football team. I think that we've done a really good job of that for the first two years, and you know, now we get another off season to keep it going. And uh, I'm really excited about the that this process to get going. So last time we talked, you said you were pretty involved in the whole scouting process and the drafting process. At what point in the off season are you actually flipping on the tape and going and actually evaluating college? Yeah, I think uh, so. I, I kind of start with the power of focus. I try to go pro guys first, you know, because yeah. free agency happens before. First, yeah. Um, so I try to do that first, uh, paint the league first. I think that's important. Um, and then this is kind of when I start my process with college guys, okay. prepping for the interviews. Um, and this is my first taste of, of the guys. And I kind of have an initial snapshot of them uh, to prepare for the interviews. And then I think after the interviews, you know, you get to meet some of these guys. Um, and then you can get your deep dive. You know, after we get back from Indianapolis is when you start the deep dive that kind of takes you to draft day. Um, and that's always a really fun process. And I think, you know, what happens is, you know, when you make these decisions in free agency or trade, that can inform a lot of decisions that you're going to make on draft day. So there's a lot of time between now and draft day, um, and we're going to try and take full advantage of it. Now, you know, a lot of the free agent stuff, the trade talks, all the stuff happens and starts here in Indy. Are you a Starbucks guy? Are you a prime guy? Like, where's your area of business for the week? No, man, I, I, start, I get up early and get a workout in, and then... Uh, <laughs> I mean, the big thing is, is we're here to work. I'm not here to, you know, participate in all the recreational stuff after hours, you know. Uh, so I'm a coffee guy. I always will be. Um, the adrenaline of competition always keeps me up, but coffee does a little extra something for me. Um, but I, I just, I, I love plain coffee. That's what I like. Straight I, black coffee. Every, every now and then I'll mix it up with a latte to kind of sp <laughs> spice it up a little bit. But, um, you know, the thing that's great about this week is you get to be around a lot of people that make the NFL special. You know, you guys, what you guys are doing for the league. Um, and, and I think, you know, just be involved with guys, you know, at PFF and, and seeing what, what you guys have done for, for coaches, for players, for, for GMs, for fans. Um, this is why you come to the Combine um, for relationships like this. Do you do any yoga while you're out here? Because I know the cat cows on the sideline are a big deal. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a lot of aspects to that workout before the game against Indianapolis that they decided not to show. Um, they, for some reason, they wanted to, to show the warm-up, not me actually running. But, um, you know, hey, there's just a former cancer patient trying to get a run in, you know, and now uh, now I'm a yoga guy. So Big yoga guy, too. Um, high yoga or normal? Uh, I've, so our staff is kind of committed to this, this hot yoga there in Newport. Um, I have not done it yet, but I'm excited to, to try. I've heard it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, heard it's amazing. All the guys swear. You know, it's it's right when like it doesn't matter what shape or size you're are you on your staff. They're like say it's life changing. It's going to be part of our our staff rhythm here in a, in a couple of weeks. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to take the deep dive into hot yoga. Wow, I mean that's that's the best breaking news we're going to get out of, <laughs> out of this today. I think, Coach. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. For thanks for minutes. having me, guys. Yeah. All right, we're here at the 2023 Scouting Combine with Tampa Bay Buccaneers General Manager Jason Light. Jason, it's been a long time since I've seen you, man. I appreciate you sitting down and doing this with us. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Right. We miss you around Tampa. I, I miss it, too. I miss home. But uh, like I said, when I left, you guys started winning. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know, a good luck charm, bad luck charm, something. But all right, I promise that not all the questions are going to be about Tom Brady because we're <laughs> going to talk about what's in the future. But I do want to start with that. 
you know, how, what was the plan with him when you guys signed him? Was it a two-year thing, a three-year thing? And really, how surprised were you with the retirement last year? How surprised were you with it this year? Basically, was it just all on him, or did you guys kind of have a plan behind the scenes of when this might be happening? Well, we originally signed him to a two-year deal, and we were hoping it would be two, praying it would be three, sure, and it turned out to be three. Um, so it was... Uh, last year, a little bit of a surprise, not so much a surprise as we we thought that this could happen. You know, I'm a very close relationship with him, so I'm always in constant communication with him. Um, but then, you know, obviously he came back out of retirement, right. and which was great for us. Um, but, you know, the plan was to have him as long as we can, and... Um, you know, go from there. So. Was was him was him retiring, and then I don't remember how many weeks exactly it was before him retiring. Was it you guys kind of like filling out the whiteboard of all right, here's what we got to do now, and then he comes back, it's like, all right, erase everything, <laughs> let's just do, let's let's figure. Well, it, out it, it made way. the it made the off season uh, planning a little challenging because sure. you had to have plan A, plan B, and right. you know, offshoots of both plan A and plan B. So, right. um, but when he decided to come back, it made it a little bit more easy to yeah. to. Uh, because we knew the direction we wanted to go at that point. So a lot of guys, the, the player that everybody's talking about now at the quarterback position is Kyle Trax. Some of these guys drafted in, this, in the second round not too long ago. And, you know, would you have been comfortable going with Trask if Brady would have stayed retired last year? Would that Was that something that would, that was on the board for you guys? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And we, uh, we're very excited about Kyle. Um, you know, as you know, being a Florida native, mm-hmm. He had a hell of a career at yeah. Florida. Um, you know, he's got a history of taking advantage of his opportunities. Uh, you know, 43 touchdowns, eight interceptions his senior year in SEC. I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. Right. So now he's had the opportunity to sit behind Tom for two years, see how Tom operates. Um, Blaine's a true professional as well, so sure. see how those guys operate. And um, we think it's just only going to help him help his cause. Yeah, so the guy that will be coaching him now is the offense coordinator, Dave Canales, right? It's, it's a really cool hire, somebody who's got the opportunity to call plays for the first time. I know a lot of people are excited about him. And you know, when you guys were going through the interview process of exactly who to bring in, whether it was for Kyle or whoever else might be under center for you guys, what set Canales apart during that interview process? Well, we, man, we interviewed some, Todd interviewed some great candidates. I was a part of it. Um, They were all had a very unique skill set or traits and things that we liked. But one thing that Dave um, was very adamant about was a quarterback-friendly offense, um, having a quarterback that just doesn't make mistakes. Um, He can work around. He's got an arm. He can get the the ball from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. He's smart. He works hard. What else do you want here? Yeah. Let's 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 go. We can make it. We can make this work. So um, it was very exciting to hear him talk about what his plan was, and how he liked him coming out. I I, I was watching, uh, you know, Todd Bowles presser after you guys had had hired Dave, and he talked about the energy and the passion. And I feel like just from interview number one, that energy sticks out. And I'm curious, is that something that was just always something that was with him during the interview process? Oh yeah, for sure, and very confident too. Yes. So he's he's always he's always up. Um, it's a lot of optimism, um, very positive, and it bleeds into the entire staff and organization when you have a coaches like that. Sure. Uh, all right, I want to take it back a little bit into uh, last season. Ryan Jensen, it felt like, was the story of so much of the season. It's just like, all right, is he coming back? Is he coming back? Is he coming back? Obviously, he comes back for the playoff game, and it was incredible to see him kind of gut it out and be out there for the game that mattered most. Was that always on the table? You know, obviously, you go through the injury, and you never know exactly how it's going to heal, but was the thought process, you know, we can maybe get him back for that postseason run. It it was. Um, there were moments where we weren't sure if it was gonna that was gonna end up happening. Mm-hmm. But if you can remember back in training camp, I didn't put him on IR until after right. you know, the fifty three was set, so right. we could have that option with him um, in hopes that that would happen. Um, he did an incredible job with his rehab, and um, you know it's it's really a great story that he came back to play in that playoff game. Um, so um, it that it was always. The hopeful plan, mm-hmm. and it just turned out to work out for us this year. Speaking of getting guys back, was there ever a non-zero chance that Gronkowski was going to play for the Buccaneers last year? <laughs> At any point, was there a non-zero chance? <laughs> uh, probably a non-zero. I'm okay. Not, I'm not putting it. Um, let's just say we had a nice conversation in my backyard one night. But uh, um, ultimately, um, he felt that um, it wasn't the right time, but, uh, you know, Gronk's always welcome in my backyard. 
I was I was I was I was gonna say I'm sure that you guys kept the light on for him at any time if he wanted to be back. But uh, that that's great to know. Where would you say that you guys are as a roster right now, currently, with the guys that you have? Obviously, you know a lot of people talk about, oh, you know Brady's gone, so it's you know it's a full rebuild. But there's still a lot of talent on this roster. So you're coming off division titles as well. What's the thought process of where you guys are right now in the evaluation of the roster that you have? Yeah, we still we still feel like we have a lot of good players on our roster, like you said, a lot of good young players on our roster. Um, you know, we're not like any other team, or we're like every other team right now that has to make some difficult decisions mm-hmm. with some veterans. Um, they're especially difficult when they're veterans that helped you win a Super Bowl. Sure, um, right. But um, we feel we're in a position where we can still compete for the division in the short term, and that's what we want to do. That's the goal is to win the division, get in the playoffs. But we also have a long-term plan, too, so um, we kind of have to balance the two. So we don't want to um, um, put ourselves in a position where we're not able to make some big moves in the future mm-hmm. um, by sacrificing that right now. So, But we, we feel very good about the young players that we have and the players that we have on our, on our team. One of the big decisions, I'm sure, is with Levante, who is, is you know a legacy guy, somebody who's been around in Tampa for his entire career. Does that make negotiations more difficult when it's a guy who, like you said, has helped you win a Super Bowl, has been there since day one, you know, a guy that was drafted in Tampa Bay? Does that make negotiations tougher when it's somebody who has just been around the franchise for so long? Uh, I don't want to say tougher. Sometimes it makes it easier because we have a, uh, and I'm not, I'm just speaking in general terms here, not necessarily Levante. When mm-hmm. you have an icon player like that, they, we want him, he a lot of times wants to stay sure. with, the, with the franchise. Yeah. So sometimes it, it does, uh, sometimes it's not so difficult, but um, you know, uh, Levante, uh, you know, Derek Brooks, all these guys like that. that yeah. He's, he's going to. He fits right in that uh, category with in terms of where the beloved players from Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You have been, you have experienced, it feels like, so many different ups and downs and different spectrums of being a general manager, right? You had the number one overall pick at one point. You won a Super Bowl at one point. You were jumping in the pool after wins at one point. You were on a boat parade at one point. You know, you've just been all over the place. So my question to you is that since taking the general manager job with the Buccaneers, what's something that you've learned the most of being a general manager? Just whether it's that salary cap or relationships or team building or something, what's something about the general manager position that you have learned the most? would say over the years uh definitely that every day is unique yeah that uh you can't have a uh, plan your day out like a you know, meeting here this is what i'm going to be doing sure. something always comes up sure um you need to expect the unexpected and you just have to enjoy the ride because um there's going to be a lot of ups and downs there's a lot of luck involved in this sure um i've been to five Super Bowls in my career. I'm lucky to go to all five. Extremely lucky to have two wins. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, But you have to have great people working for you. So, Because something comes up every day that's unexpected. Yeah. And then the last one, along the same lines, that's what you've learned about being a general manager. What have you learned about yourself over the last, you know, whatever it's been, eight, nine years of, of being in charge down in Tampa Bay and, and just the, the people that you've got to work with, how you make this whole thing work, maybe some self-reflection on maybe something you've learned about yourself over the years. Well, I've said this before and I'll keep saying it. Um, what I've learned is the more you can um, trust your staff and mm-hmm. delegate, the better that you you will become as, that you will be as a, as a general manager. Um, you can't, expect to handle everything and there are moments when you expect them to handle everything so you can just take a mental break here for you know a few minutes or a few hours whatever it takes because there's a lot of stress that's involved in this job so um, just having good people is is what you learn and you I it's reinforced every day for all those aspiring general managers out there hire the right people let them do their job Jason thanks so much for joining us you got it